Good morning. We haven't met yet. My name is Kayla Harden. I serve as the pastor of Congregational Connections here at Eastside. Now, before my husband and I moved to Indiana, we actually lived in Arizona, where I served at a church there as a youth pastor. And when we knew our time on the West Coast was drawing to a close, we decided that we wanted to explore and see more of the West Coast before we moved. We specifically wanted to see some of the national parks in California. And so my husband began to plan this road trip where we would drive to several different parks. And so we packed up our three-year-old Aiden, we drove a lot. But what we found was some of the most beautiful examples of God's creation. We fell in love with the national parks that we saw. And so we decided to make it a goal of ours to visit as many as we could. You'll see the picture of my son Aiden on his dad's shoulders in Kings Canyon Park in California. Now you can understand why we might be in love with our national parks. And we've been so blessed to be able to visit parks in Oregon and Washington, California, Arizona, and Tennessee. But there was one park that we had driven past hundreds of times, and yet we had never gone out of our way to go visit. So last month, we decided to go visit Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky. And now that three-year-old is a seven-year-old, and I also have a three-year-old named Carter. And although those boys are extremely adorable, they are not at an ideal age for hiking. And so we knew that we wanted to go down into the cave and explore, but we also wanted to do a little bit of hiking in the park around it. So the solution that we came up with was to use one of these toddler carrier backpacks to carry Carter on our shoulder. And it was a great plan until I got him on my shoulders and realized how heavy he is. He might look little and cute, but that kid is a tank. I was five minutes into that hike and my shoulders were aching and I was sweating profusely and breathing heavy. Carter was proving to be a burden to my shoulders, something too heavy for me to bear. Now, Thankfully, I also packed a husband on this trip, and he stepped in to help carry the burden of my son when I could take it no longer. And so we were able to finish our beautiful hike by taking turns. When Carter became too heavy for one of us, the other would take on the burden and carry our son. Sometimes in life, we find ourselves feeling weighed down. We feel ourselves being burdened, like a heavy weight is oppressing us. Sometimes it's, it's life circumstances, or maybe it's health issues, or maybe it's even financial insecurity. I mean, like gas prices, am I right? We feel like we have a heavy weight on our shoulders that's crushing us. But thankfully, God's plan to repurpose us includes this call to bear one another's burdens. Like how my husband stepped in and took on the burden of carrying our son, we also need people to step in and help us carry the burdens in our lives. So this morning, we are going to look at what it means to be a burden bearer. This fall, we've been working our way through the book of Galatians in a series called Repurposed. And as Pastor Carrie has shared, this series focuses on how even in our failures, even in our mess ups, that God is repurposing our lives, that God is, is recreating us, renewing us. And as we've studied the book of Galatians, we found a community that, that kind of struggled to understand God's plan for them. 
We found people who were being told that in order to follow Jesus, they first had to become Jewish and obey all this Jewish law. But when Paul writes to the Galatians, he hopes that they will understand that Jesus has fulfilled that law and that instead they are called to live out the law of Christ, to love God and to love one another. And that through the Holy Spirit and only through keeping in step with the Holy Spirit can we live out that law of Christ. Last week, Pastor Kerry shared with us what life of being in step with the Spirit looks like. He talked about what the fruit of the Spirit are, what the, the outer symptoms of inner transformation look like. And this week, we're going to take a look at how keeping in step with the Spirit affects how we interact with other people. How living in step with the Holy Spirit affects how we live in Christian community. I think that this question is so important because we are living in a world that's plagued by loneliness. My guess is this isn't anything that's new to you. Maybe you've even felt it at certain points in your life. But this, we are living in an increasingly lonely world. And even before the pandemic, many people struggled to feel connected. And it's only gotten even worse over the last few years. According to a study from Harvard in February of 2021, 36% of all Americans, including 61% of young adults and 51% of mothers with young children, felt serious loneliness. And not surprisingly, this loneliness only seems to have increased since the outbreak of a global pandemic. We feel alone. We feel friendless. Like nobody really understands us. We find ourselves searching for community, but unsure of where we can find a group of people to accept us and love us. Then, when we find ourselves overwhelmed by the burdens in our lives, we feel like we have no one to talk to, no one to turn to for help. We feel like we're drowning, but there's no one there to help lift us above the water. But this is not God's design for our lives. God never called us to go it alone, thinking that we can handle it by ourselves. Instead, we are given community with other Christians to help bear our burdens. And as we, as Christians, we're called to bear the burdens of others as well. Because the cure to loneliness, the antidote to loneliness, is this community that God has intended for us. It's one where we practice mutual accountability and gentleness, where we rely on the Holy Spirit to live free from jealousy and rivalry, and where we humbly fulfill the law of Christ. When faced with the epidemic of loneliness, the easiest answer is for people to find community. And it seems like it should be easy. We are more connected than we've ever been. We can connect with people across the country and across the globe. And while there's multiple options to find community, we still find ourselves feeling like no one really knows us, like nobody really sees who we are. And in our text this morning, Paul is applying the fruit of the Spirit, the effects of life and step with the Spirit to how believers are to interact with people in Christian community. And I think, I think this type of community is what we need. This type of community provides a, a healing balm to the loneliness that plagues so many. Our text this morning is found in Galatians chapter six, verses one through five. And in it, Paul writes, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. What can we learn about community from this text? First, in this community, we practice mutual accountability and gentleness. Paul was writing this letter to a community of Jesus followers. And over the last couple months, we've seen how they struggled to stay with Paul's teaching as, as this false teaching kept infiltrating their community. And here, Paul makes a point to remind them of their responsibility to each other. He calls the mature believers, those who are the quote-unquote spiritual ones, he challenges them to remember their responsibility to the others who are new to the faith. This word for transgression, it can be translated as false step or falling out of line. Someone who is caught in a transgression. Here is someone who has not kept in step with the spirit, but they might have fallen out of line and they simply need to be redirected to walking in step with the spirit. And instead of responding in self-righteousness, Paul challenged mature believers to restore them in gentleness. Instead of a harsh critique, mature Christians are called to remember their own flaws, their own temptations, and respond in a merciful way, mirroring the mercy we have been shown in Christ. And this is the accountability that it can exist only in relationship. It's meant to be practiced not with strangers, but with the people that you are walking through life with. When we are providing accountability for another believer, we must begin with prayer and reflection. What are my motives? Am I here to set them straight? Am I here to be right and righteous? Or do I love them in a way that wants what is absolutely best for them? Do I want to see them healed? Do I want them restored, finding wholeness and love in the arms of my Savior? And this accountability, it goes both ways. As we are able to lovingly restore other Christians, we also are to be open to the fact that we ourselves are not perfect. Part of bearing each other's burdens is engaging with community that is defined by mutual accountability and a spirit of gentleness. Second, in this community, we rely on the Holy Spirit to be free from jealousy and rivalry. As he was writing his letter, Paul also recognized that those who are providing accountability to other Christians could be tempted to become prideful as the spiritual ones. And he recognized this human tendency that we have to, to focus on not being as bad as someone else in order to make us feel good about ourselves. And if we're honest, we've probably all been guilty of this. We find ourselves playing the part of this Pharisee in this parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18. This Pharisee that when he goes forward to pray, his prayer consists of, dear Lord, thank you that I'm not as bad as that guy and I'm not as bad as that guy and I'm definitely not as bad as that guy. But how often do we find ourselves gauging our own goodness based on other people's lack thereof? I'm a pretty competitive person. 
what do you think would have happened if I let my competitive spirit enter into our family hike outside of Mammoth Cave? If instead of trying to just enjoy time with my family and see beautiful creation, if I had made it more about me winning and being better than my husband? Well, I can tell you, one of two things would have happened. I would have either continued on with the heavy burden that I had, um, even though it would have caused me unnecessary pain, or I would have thrown the whole burden on my husband and then run ahead to finish first because I'm the fastest. And as silly as this example might be, when we let jealousy and rivalry enter a Christian community, what happens is people either feel that they have to carry their own load by themselves or they'll feel judged, or they throw it all on someone else to deal with. But Paul calls us to be both mutually supportive and individually responsible. N.T. Wright puts it this way, the pride of going it alone and laziness of hoping everyone else will do the hard work are both to be avoided. When we keep in step with the spirit, jealousy and rivalry have no place in the Christian community. Third, in this community, we humbly fulfill the law of Christ. In Galatians 6 verse 2, when, when Paul challenges his audience to bear one another's burdens, he says that doing so will fulfill the law of Christ. This law of Christ is to love God and to love your neighbor. And in the book of Luke, Jesus tells this parable to help his audience understand what, as Paul would understand as the law of Christ, how that plays out in real life. He tells this story to help them understand how their interactions with other people are to be formed by the law of Christ. And if you've been in church for a while, this story will probably sound very familiar to you. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. It takes place in the midst of Jesus' ministry. One day he was sitting with his disciples and a crowd had formed and gathered around. And in this crowd there was a variety of people from normal everyday people to teachers of the law and Pharisees. And one teacher of the law in particular stood up and began to make his way toward Jesus. With every step he took, the crowd grew quieter and quieter until he approached Jesus and silence had enveloped them all. Turning to Jesus, he said, teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus answered his question with another question. What does the law say? How do you read it, he said. The teacher of the law confidently quoted back to Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus nodded, affirming that that is in fact what the law said. You're correct, he said. Go and do. And then Jesus turned back to his disciples and began to talk with them again. But the teacher of the law wasn't finished. She cleared his throat and said, so who is my neighbor? Jesus looked at the man, realizing that all he wanted to do was justify himself. But then as he looked from his disciples to the crowd around them, he decided to tell this story. There once was a man making his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. One of them beat him up, giving him a black eye, a bloody nose, broken ribs amongst other injuries, while the others ransacked his bag, taking his food, his money, and even the clothes off his back. 
They left him on the side of the road with nothing, not even his dignity. And the man slowly began to lose consciousness without even the ability to cry out for help. But then, Jesus said, a priest came by. And at the mention of the priest, Jesus' audience eyes lit up because you see the priest was a holy man of Israel. They were the ones whose whole lives were dedicated to God. Surely this would be the man who would help the man in need. And the priest saw the man on the side of the road and he began to analyze the situation. You see, if he touched this person and he was already dead, then that meant he wouldn't be able to perform his priestly duties. You see, in the Jewish law, um, a person uh, touching a corpse made a person unclean. And a priest could not go into the temple if he was declared unclean and he had to go through all these rituals and it took time. So if he was to get down and to touch a corpse, he wouldn't be able to do his job. And so how could I do such a thing, he thought to himself. How terribly irresponsible of me to risk not being able to serve God to help someone who's probably already dead. And his priestly duty went out in his mind and he crossed on the other side of the road. Jesus' audience was a little confused. I mean, of all the people you would expect to help, it would be a priest, someone who served God full time. But Jesus continued on in his story. And next, a Levite came by. And again, the audience thought this will be the man because a Levite assists the priest. This is the holy man of Israel. Surely he will help this man on the side of the road. But as the Levite made his way by and he saw the body on the side, he began to think to himself of what his options were. And he thought of the danger that was posed to him. You see, these roads were not safe. Obviously, there were robbers there. And if he got down off of his donkey to help this man, he was putting himself at risk. And so he thought to himself, what if it's a trap? What if the same guys who did this to him will, get, will attack me too if I get down to help him? Fear went out in his mind and he crossed on the other side of the road. Now you can imagine the surprise that Jesus' audience felt. I mean, if the people you would expect to help a guy out, the two holiest positions in Israel, they would have been it. But Jesus wasn't finished. Then, he said, a Samaritan came by. And at the mere mention of the word Samaritan, the mood dropped drastically. You see, the Jewish people hated Samaritans, like really, really hated, like loathed entirely. And they have this history that goes back to the Old Testament, but basically they thought of Samaritans as, as heretics. Samaritans were the enemy. And so at the mere mention of this word, Jesus' audience was off repulsed. But Jesus continued. The Samaritan saw the body on the side of the road and he began to weigh out his options. If I get down to go help him, I'll be putting myself at risk and, and robbers might attack me just like they've attacked this guy. And I mean, he's obviously Jewish. Like he's not gonna want help from me. He hates me. And if I stop here, then I'm delaying my own trip because I'm gonna help this guy and I have things to do as well. But if he is alive, he needs my help. And so the Samaritan got down off of his donkey and approached the man on the side of the road. He took oil to treat and bandage his wounds. He got down into the dirt and he lifted the man up and put him on his own donkey and began that treacherous walk to town. 
When he arrived, he checked into an inn and he put the man up there paying for his every need. And when time came for him to leave, he approached the innkeeper and said, just please take care of him as long as he needs to be here. Here, take two denarii, two full days of pay. Take this to take care of him. And if when I come back, you need more because you spent more, I will pay for it. Just take care of him. Jesus' audience was in shock. Why would someone as terrible as a Samaritan be kind, loving, sacrificial, a hero in the story? Jesus turned to the teacher and said, which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man in need? Unable to even spit out the word Samaritan, the teacher said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Jesus used this story to help his followers understand what it truly means to fulfill what Paul called the law of Christ, to love God and to love your neighbor. And in this story, we see three people, all with legitimate concerns, all with legitimate problems as to why it might be dangerous or wasteful to help the man on the side of the road. But the community that we are called to participate in, it doesn't let our own busyness keep us from bearing the burdens of others. It doesn't let fear keep us from bearing the burdens of others. It doesn't let differences keep us from bearing the burdens of others. Instead, like the Samaritan, we are called to set aside our own agendas, to not let fear hinder us and to humbly get off of our own donkey. Like the Samaritan, we humbly get down in the dirt to help those who need it. We lift them up and sometimes we carry them because in this community, we humbly fulfill the law of Christ. We are living in a world plagued by loneliness. People feel more disconnected than ever. And I think it's because we're missing out. We're missing out on this community that God has intended for us. Unfortunately, this kind of community, it's not exactly what the church is known for, but it could be. Imagine with me. Imagine with me if the community that you found through these doors and online embodied this kind of community. Imagine a church where we practice mutual accountability and gentleness. If we could gently remind each other to keep in step with the Spirit, to call each other back to relationship with Christ. When we begin, uh, when we begin to drift towards our own selfish desires, imagine a church where we are so consumed with the Holy Spirit that jealousy and rivalry have no place. When we stop living in this comparison trap that keeps us viewing ourselves as either better or worse than those around us, imagine a church where we humbly fulfill the law of Christ, where we don't let excuses keep us from loving our neighbor, where we don't let our busyness or our obligation or our fear or our differences keep us from getting down off of our own donkey, getting down into the dirt and helping those in need. Imagine a church filled with burden bearers, people who don't have to go it alone, but have other Christians who they know are willing to help. 
Now, let's make this kind of Christian community the community we are a part of. This isn't something that I can do for you. It's not up to Pastor Carrie or the rest of the staff. It's up to you. We're going to close in a song, spend some more time worshiping through music. And I'd like for you to spend this time in reflection. How can you make this community a reality? How can you come alongside the others to help bear their burdens? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for this plan that you have given us for a community that walks alongside each other, a community that helps to bear burdens so none of us feel overwhelmed and alone. And Lord, right now, I pray that you will speak to each and every one of us. Open our eyes to how we can better live this out, how we can better make the church into a community that bears each other's burdens and reflects your love to this lonely world around us. We thank you for the ways that you are moving and the way you will continue to move do abundantly more than we could ask, think, or imagine.